Traditionally on Mother's Day, the speaker gets the gift of being able to address the mothers in the crowd. And so what I'd like to do today instead is address all of us who had mothers and have mothers. So that applies to all of us. There will be some truths in here for you moms too, um, but I think you'll understand uh, why we're talking about uh, what we're talking about and the, and the blessing for everyone here. Um, one thing is certain, in all the stories that I've heard over the years, in my couple of decades plus of serving in full-time ministry, I get to hear stories of moms from all different angles. Uh, moms with kids, moms who couldn't have kids, moms that, that have lost kids, moms that, that have chose terminations of pregnancies, adoptions, special needs kids, you name it. I've heard their stories. It's a real honor to hear people's stories and to be able to share with them uh, the love of God and help them to see um, God's faithfulness to them as they have chosen to pursue him. Um, it's really sweet how the Lord meets us right in our most tender places. The one story that is unique to mothers is the one of Mary and Jesus and so I want to start there in Luke 2, so if you want to go there. Imagine being a young woman who's told by the angel Gabriel that you're going to be overshadowed by the Spirit of God. You're going to conceive even though you haven't had physical relationships, and you're going to give birth to the Savior of the world. Young teenager. Moms, imagine your young teenage girls of 13, 14 years old being visited by an angel and being told that. You can place yourself in the story here. Mary humbly and graciously accepts God's plan for her because her heart, even though she's imperfect, even though she's sinful, even though she is imperfect in every way, her heart is to bless God. Her heart is to reflect him. And so she chooses obedience. So let's read about um, what happened when it's time for Jesus to be born. So Luke 2, 1, we'll go right there. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus to register all the empire for taxes. A very money-focused decision. This was the first registration taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Everyone went to his own town to be registered. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was of the house and family of David. Now imagine it's so close to the time of Mary giving birth, and this is a journey of about 90 miles between the two cities. Not uncomfortable for anybody. Picking up back again in verse 5, he went to be registered with Mary, who was promised him in marriage, and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver the child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for him at the inn. Now there were shepherds nearby living out in the fields, keeping guard over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were absolutely terrified. I've never seen an angel, but I can guarantee you if an angel showed up at my door, I would be absolutely terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. 
I love that God addresses our human nature so quickly. Listen carefully, for I proclaim to you good news that brings great joy to us all. The people, to all the people, today your Savior is born. Imagine that. What a greeting. Today, the Messiah of the world, the Savior is born today. And I'm coming to tell you this because you play an important part in God's kingdom, in his plans. God's made this decision to send me to tell you. Today, your Savior is born in the city of David. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find what? A baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly a vast heavenly army appeared with the angel. Now, if Gabriel wasn't enough, imagine an army of angels. This was important stuff. Praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among people with whom he is pleased. That's a really important thing to remember. There's going to be peace on earth with people God is pleased. When the angels left them and went back to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place that the Lord has made known to us. So they hurried off and located Mary and Joseph and found the baby lying in a manger. When they saw him, they related that all that had been told about this child and all who heard it were astonished at what the shepherds said. But this last verse we're gonna read for now, Verse 19, look at it. But Mary treasured all these words, pondering in her heart what they might mean. Now, even as a nominal Jew, Mary would have known not the mission of why God let his spirit overshadow her and let her become pregnant, because Gabriel already said that. But Mary pondered in her heart the plans God had for this child how it would play out. How many of you moms, under whatever circumstances you became pregnant, wondered about the plans God had for this child? And God has plans for each of the children that are born. Micah <clears throat> prophesied in chapter 5, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, that the Savior would be born where he would be born, that would bring delight to all the people. And approximately 1,600 years before Jesus' birth, the Jerusalem uh, Talmud spoke of the Savior being born in Bethlehem. So even as a nominal Jew, Mary would know that she was going to have her baby in Bethlehem. God used a pagan ruler who was greedy for more money, more taxes, wanted more things to go his way, to fall right into God's hands and God's plan for what he wanted to accomplish. Imagine if you're Mary thinking about parenting the Messiah of the world. Imagine Joseph, how do you do this? How do you raise the Son of God? What an enormous task. And we as parents have jobs that feel just as overwhelming at times raising our own children, but it wasn't quite the same as what Mary and Joseph had to deal with. Mary pondered in her heart what it meant. The same phrase is used later on in Luke 2 and verse 50 and 51 when Jesus is in the temple when he's 12. She pondered in her heart 
what God was doing with her son. We all ponder in our hearts what God is doing with the people that we love if we have children with the children that we love. And if we don't have children, just what God is allowing. Because we know God is always good and he's always loving and we don't always get what we want, but we know that his plans always prevail. And as we chase after him with everything we have, we have the opportunity to reflect God's heart. We have to train our children to reflect God's heart. That's a hard task. Sometimes we're short-tempered. Sometimes we don't see the bigger picture because the circumstances of our child's life is right in front of us. It's busy. It's hectic. We're just going from day to day sometimes, helping each other get through it, getting through everything that has to take place, just being a parent, and it gets more and more complicated. And we need God's strength. We need his Holy Spirit to complete this task he's given us, which is raising our children well. We've got to reflect God's heart. How do we do it? How do we do it when we're disappointed? How do we do it when our children don't reflect God's heart? How do we do it when they make mistakes? How do we do it when we make mistakes, when we're harsh, when we're unkind, when we don't, (coughs) excuse me, seem to have a grasp on how God wants us to walk out our faith in our family, which is our very first ministry unto the Lord. We're all called to worship him, to bring him glory, and he puts our mission field first right in front of us in our own family. How do we do that? We have imperfect moms, and I'm sure at some point my mom will listen to this online and I'll say, sorry, mom, you're great, but you're imperfect. We all have imperfect moms, but we have a perfect heavenly father. He never misses a beat. He never turns away. He never turns off. He never stops paying attention to who we are. His plans are always something that brings him glory. His plans are always something that make us look more like Jesus as we chase after him. Like I said, Mary was imperfect, and she wasn't above asking a favor of her son. And so when you look at the wedding in Cana, Jesus' first miracle, and let's go there. John 2, 1 through 11, if you want to turn there and look at it for yourself. Now, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no wine left. Jesus replied, Woman, Why are you saying this to me? My time has not yet come. His mother told the servants, whatever he tells you, do it. Good call on her part. First off, Jesus says, woman, it wasn't my time yet. He's put in this awkward position because his mom had a personal request. And the word woman in the Greek is this word gune, which he also uses later on at the cross when he gives Mary to John and John to Mary, and also with the woman caught in adultery. He uses this very tender word, a very loving, patient, kind word, full of respect. It denotes no obligation at all is required from the other party. It just means, woman, you're wonderful, you're kind, I respect you. 
Why'd you ask this of me? And he uses the same thing when he's looking at Mary at the cross. He says, woman, and what gives her to John? And the same thing with the woman and adultery. He uses the same word in the Greek, woman. It's kind and respectful and loving. You see a picture here of God's heart in three very different circumstances. You see him address Mary when she puts him in an uncomfortable spot, and he's kind and respectful. You see him at the cross when he's giving his mother to the disciple he loved, and you see him when he's in the middle when he's encountered the woman caught in adultery. We see a picture of God's heart towards us, how we should reflect that to our family members, and how we should deal with people in the world with love and kindness and respect, always with truth, but always with respect and kindness and love. That same word is used there. We're all kids of someone's mother. Are we, res- we reflecting God's heart of love and kindness and respect back to our parents? Even if they disappoint us, even if they're as sinful as we are, even if they say and do things that don't please us or don't please God, are we being respectful back? Are we being kind? Are we being loving? Are we being patient? Are we losing our temper? Are we saying things we later regret? Are we causing division and strife? Or are we speaking with love and honoring them because of the position they hold and not necessarily because of how they do it? And the same way, moms and dads, with your own children, especially when they're teenagers, right? Are we treating them with love and kindness and respect as we speak truth? That's reflecting God's heart. It's one thing to deliver the message, and that's important, but how you do it in God's kingdom is as important as the message itself. Because when someone comes to faith, and you're involved in leading them, they're looking at you and saying, the message might be true, but they're a picture of what it means to be a believer. Do I want to be like them? How many times could we be unintentionally driving someone away because we know the words to say, but we don't know how to live it out in a way that reflects God's heart. We've got to be careful. We've got to ask for God to give us grace and the right words and to accept people so that we have the ability to speak truth and love and the gospel message to them. This is God's heart as reflected in how he treated Mary how he treated John, and how he treated the woman caught in adultery with respect and kindness and love. God has a good plan. It's not a mistake you were born. Look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'm going to put on my glasses here so I can actually read it. Therefore, I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. God is not asking us to do something unreasonable. Difficult? Yes. Unreasonable? No. Do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, meaning taking on God's thoughts. 
taking on God's priorities, taking on God's heart, so that you may test and approve what is the will of God. Good and well-pleasing and perfect will of God. Do we take the time to even ask him, God, what is your will? It's pretty easy to come in any day of the week and punch your card and say, I've done my quiet time, I've done my Bible reading, I've done my prayer, I've done my worship, and all these things are important. But without the heart that says, God, I want to honor you, I want to encounter you, I want to be challenged by you and take on your heart, your love, and the power of your spirit to do the things you've called me to do, then it becomes empty religion. And the Pharisees were just like that. The Pharisees did all the right things, but their hearts were distant from God. Their priorities were distant from God. You could see in the way that the majority of Pharisees treated the people around them that they were not reflecting God's heart. They were taking on God's glory for himself, which is never a good thing. God deserves all the glory, right? Every single bit of it. But you can always tell by reading about the Pharisees, it was all back to them, who they are, their status, their knowledge, their ability to pray publicly and get people's acclaim. But that's not God's heart. God's heart is to reflect well true love and kindness and truth. You can't divorce truth from love, and you can't divorce love from truth. They go together. How you treat the people around you is how you reflect God's heart, and it's going to be good or it's going to be bad. So we know we have imperfect parents. We know we are imperfect people. We know our children are broken, sinful, and needing Jesus. How do we draw them to him? We've got to walk in a way that pleases him. There's a pattern in Scripture that's really important to see. And if you want to go for, to the first point, which is Psalm, punctuated by Psalm 39, 13. God made you, 139, 13, God made you intentionally, regardless of the circumstances surrounding your birth, God made you with intention. You were not a mistake. I'm the product of a 16-year-old woman getting pregnant, eventually marrying my father, and they've been married for a lot of years now. But God's plan for me wasn't, I wasn't a mistake. People told my mother I was a mistake, but I wasn't a mistake. You're not a mistake. God made you with intention, and as we'll see, his plan and purposes are good, always good. God gives you a purpose, point two. Look at this. For we are his workmanship, having been created in Christ Jesus for good works, that God prepared beforehand so that we may do them. God's prepared us intentionally and with a purpose. If you're wandering around going, God, what's my purpose? Why am I even here? Look to God and ask him those questions. He wants you to ask him because he wants to answer you. He wants a living, real relationship with you. It's more 
than just reading. It's more than just coming to church. He wants a living, breathing relationship with you. And he wants to give you purpose. He's got things designed for you that will not only bring him glory and bring others to him, but will fulfill your heart as you walk out the things he's given you. Because you know what? You look at your talents, your gifts, your abilities in the natural and in the supernatural, and God wired you with those because he knows the plans he has for you to use them to bring others to him, to bring himself glory, not to bring yourself glory, and so that you'll be fulfilled, that your life will be rich and meaningful and have a purpose. And trust me, as you get older, you want to know your life made a difference to somebody. You want to know that you've pleased God. You don't want to miss out. You don't want to walk through your years and going, would have, could have, should have. Instead, you want to go every day, Lord, did I please you by what I said and did today? Did I hear you and was I obedient? And Lord, if I've fallen flat on my face and done things that have grieved your heart, that have been against your word, against your commands, Lord, forgive me. I need forgiveness. As mothers, as fathers, you look at rampant abortion in our country, right? Those men and women, they need the love and forgiveness of Jesus. Because we serve a God of life, a God who gives purpose, a God who created babies and placed them in the mother's womb. There's forgiveness, men and ladies, if you've been involved in there, but you've got to be honest before the Lord and say, I fell short. I made a decision that doesn't please you, but Lord, forgive me and let me chase after you with everything in me. And God is quick to forgive when we're sincere, right? Next point. So God made you intentionally and with a purpose, and he made you for the right time and place, meaning right now. There's a reason that you were born in this century, that you live in this city. It's not a mistake. It's not a mistake God moved us here 30 years ago. God had his purpose and his plan, and he used circumstances to bring us right where we are. It's not a mistake right where you are that God placed you in the family you're in. Even if you were adopted, it may look like a mistake or that this is God's plan B, but no, God, this is God's plan A. He's got a purpose for you. Right now in this time, trust me, if God would have put me in the frontier days, man, I would have died because I can't do anything. I can't build, I can't shoot, I can't kill. I don't have the strength. I'm not wired that way, you know? It's a good thing God put me in the century I'm in, right? I couldn't survive. God put you in this place and this time for his purposes. So your job is to reflect his heart, to reflect his glory as a parent, as a child, as his child. If you've been adopted into God's kingdom, he's got a plan and a purpose with intentionality for you. Next point. He provides you the power to do the work he's given you to do. 
huge. Our God empowers you to do what he's asked you to do. He hasn't just left you astray to your own strength, your own talents, your own wisdom. He gives you his Holy Spirit to bring him glory. Because if you accomplish the work through his spirit and his power, he gets the glory. If you do it on your own, people can sense that you want the glory. But when God does it through you and they know it's something you couldn't do on your own, he gets the glory. I love this quote. Next slide, please. Let me rephrase this here and jump in and say this. It's not about doing more. It's about being strategically led by God's Spirit for His purposes. Okay, here's the quote. I don't want my life to be explainable without the Holy Spirit. I want, God, I want people to look at my life and know that I couldn't be doing this by my own power. There's truth in here. There's truth in this. If your life reflects something you couldn't do without God, then he gets the glory and power. If you're living the kind of life where you don't need God's power to accomplish what he's asked you to do, I'd ask you to look, talk to him and say, God, am I missing out? Have you given me something to do that I'm not doing? No, God wants you to live the kind of life that requires him doing the work through you to accomplish the work. There's great joy in that because you see God working in you and through you for his purposes. And it's work that lasts. It's not work that's temporary. Work we do in the flesh, it's temporary. We can accomplish good things, but when we do things through the Spirit of God, it does something in our hearts. And God is glorified, and he will not share his glory with anyone else, not even us, not even when we were doing his works. He will not share his glory with us. He alone should get our glory. It's your choice to reflect God's heart or not. What could God do with you? Amazing things. Whoever you are, whatever circumstance you're in, God can do amazing things with you. Look at this next quote. Amy Carmichael. In 1901, as a young woman, she went to southern India to work with trafficked children. She ended up spending the bulk of her adult life there, wrote 37 books, opened a hospital, and began a, mystery for, a ministry for trafficked kids. Amazing. Never married, never had children. Was this her choice? Was this something God led her to do? I don't know. I couldn't find the answer to that. But I look at the fruit of her life and the numbers of former Hindus that came to faith because of her obedience. Think about this. 1901, as a young woman, she goes to the other side of the world because she's driven by God and wants to please him. And her life was fruitful. Fruitful beyond, I'm sure, whatever she hoped or imagined. And I'm sure she also made some people dissatisfied because she made choices that were bold, choices that didn't seem right for a woman to do. But she stepped into the things of God, and God was glorified. Lives were changed for eternity because of her obedience. Everything I'm talking about is in line with our values as a church. Let's go to this slide. 
We're spiritually dynamic. What does dynamite do? It explodes, right? When we're dynamic in the Lord, when we're listening to him, when we're reading the scripture, when we're praying, when we're worshiping, when we're seeking his heart and asking these questions, God, what do you want to do with me? Something happens inside of us. It's God's power working in us and through us, and things change around us. Things change around us. Missionaries are sent because of it. Churches are started because of it. People come to faith because of it. The eternal purposes of God come to fruition, and we play a part in that. He empowers us, and he gives us the pleasure of working alongside him reflecting God's heart. We seek to glorify God in all we do. By doing so, we're grounded in the truth of his word, walking in the empowerment of his spirit, and embracing the fullness of a new spiritual life that Jesus Christ uniquely provides. Nobody else provides what Jesus provides. If they did, we wouldn't call ourselves Christians. But how many times, and I'm guilty of this, and I'm sure you guys are guilty of it as well, we're busy chasing other things because our relationship with Jesus has left us to check off the box, right? So then it's on to our purposes, our intentions, what pleases us. God's economy is totally flip-flop. As you give your life to him and let him serve Uh, let him be glorified as you serve, then your life becomes rich and full. We're committed to worship, prayer, and the application of the word of God in our lives and bringing transformational change to the world around us. In Metro Denver, beyond into South Dakota, beyond that into Asia and beyond. This is our value statement as a church. It's on the back of your bulletin. You can read it along with the other pieces. We're not just coming together because we love each other. We're not just coming together because we love God and his word. We're coming together because we also know we're part of his great intentional plan and purpose. Right? It's true. I know you know it's true. You know, last thing I want to say about plans is moms, you have to let God have his way with your children. There's no recorded time where Mary says to Jesus, look, couldn't you just be satisfied being a carpenter? And thank God that she didn't interfere with God's plans because look what Jesus accomplished by doing the Father's will versus what his mother could have directed him towards, right? As parents, sure, I have dreams for my kids, but the biggest thing is first, that they know and love Jesus Christ with all their heart. And the second thing is that they would follow him and serve him every day of their life. I don't care who they marry as long as they're a believer, as long as they love the Lord and will treat my child well the way God wants them to. I want each of my children, married or single, to pursue God together and his purposes. So moms, you may not be happy with your kids' choices. Kids, you may not be happy with the pressure your parents are putting on you. You've got to answer all of us. We have to answer before God as to what we did with our life. Did we glorify him? Did we do his work? Did we please him? At the end of the day, can we say, God, 
How did I do today? And if I didn't do so well, God, take me, let me start afresh. Let me not give up. What can God accomplish through you as we reflect God's heart? I'm going to wrap up here. Sometimes in our quest for deeper biblical knowledge, we miss out the blessing of simple truths. The simple truths of honoring our parents, of reflecting God's heart by being loving, respectful, kind, and speaking the truth. It goes both ways. Moms, dads, kids, we're all somebody's kid, right? How can we take that truth of how to reflect God's heart and know that we're made intentionally and with purpose for this time and place that God gives us good works to do that please him and we can do them in his power working alongside of him? How do we reconcile all that? It's a lot to handle, isn't it? It's a lot to handle. I would say today, start here. Kids love your parents and respect them. Parents, love on your kids and respect them. Be kind, be gracious, reflect God's heart. And as believers, reflect God's heart to the world. His truth and his love walk hand in hand. Reflect God's heart and embrace his uniquely designed purposes for your life. I can't do what you can do. Only you can do it. And God has designed it so that you would so that he'd be glorified and that you would have a rich life that pleases him. I'm going to pray, but what I'd like you all to do is most likely you've come with someone you love today or at least someone you're friendly with is around you. I'd like you to stop and pray together and bless the people in your group, okay? If you're a kid, be bold and step out and pray for your mom if she's here with you, okay? And if you're a parent, Be bold and and bless your kids and stand with them and love on them, all for the glory of God. And if you don't know Jesus, it's not a mistake you're here today. He is a good and perfect heavenly father. And if you don't know him, he knows you're broken and he's calling you home. So you have an opportunity to exchange his life on the cross for a new life with him by confessing your brokenness and your sin and by calling out to him. If you're in that spot, I'd love to talk to you and just share about God's heart for you. His heart is so big for each of us. So, so big. Okay, let's pray and then you can pray with the people around you and then if you have children in children's ministry, please go pick them up. Let's pray. God, every day is Father's Day. We love you. We want to be yours fully. Lord, we want to just please you, to let our lives be a living sacrifice for you. We don't want to just know about you or read about you, Lord. We want to be engaged with you in deep relationship, Lord, where you speak in your word and you speak in prayer and you speak to us and send us out to do the things that you have for us, Lord. Thank you for finding us worthy of sharing in 
your mission, Lord, that all would know you. I pray your blessing today, Lord, on, on the parents, on the kids today, Lord. I pray we would embrace your love, Lord. We all need your love. Whether we know you or not, we need your love. And we thank you that you give it freely. You give it freely to each of us that will call out for you. May we, Lord, enjoy our day in a way that pleases and honors you. Help us, Lord, to walk with kindness, love, and respect along with truth and to know we're part of your purposes. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Just take a few minutes and pray with the people around you. Thanks. Thanks.